and welcome to episode 138 of Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson. Today we have two segments for you. Kicking the show off, myself and Neil uh, talk about Pushmo World, the newest entry in the Pushmo series, now on Wii U. And after that, Alex and Addison talk about everything non-Nintendo from E3, including Sony, Microsoft, EA, and Ubisoft. Enjoy. Hey, and welcome to a segment on Pushmo World. Uh, it's a new Wii U eShop game that just came out this week. Uh, I reviewed it for Nintendo World Report. I'm Neil Ronahan. And with me, uh, the man who reviewed it for IGN, Scott Thompson. <laughs> Hello. Uh, so, Scott and I, uh, we were just discussing before we started that we need to get back in the mindset of, of Pushmo World because the reviews had an embargo two weeks before the game came out. Which was which is kind of weird. And maybe normally that might not have been so bad, but with like everything at E3, it's like yeah, yeah Pushmo has been like the furthest thing from my mind. Yeah, like I mean, when I saw that, like I didn't realize it even came out this week until we got the download email. I was like, oh shit, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it's just one of those weird. I mean, I, I don't know how much y'all like the inside baseball, but it's just one of those things that you don't normally see. Um. I mean, even, like, for example, something like uh, Shovel Knight, which comes out next week, and we'll probably have a really bodacious segment on that next week, because we have four people on staff technically playing the game, although Guillaume will be talking about it on RFM. Mm -hmm. But Andy, Zach, and I will all be talking about it on Connectivity next week. Oh, nice. Um, Even that game, which, I mean, you can kind of see, it's getting almost universal appraise uh, from everyone that's like, I can't write a review, but holy shit, it's really (laughs) that good. Um, That has an embargo for launch day, and... And some of the stuff with embargoes is usually it's usually focused on, you know, you want to have people talking about it at that time. Um, I've had a couple, like, uh, you know, smaller eShop developers being like, you know, we don't have an official embargo, but if you could post a review where people could actually go and buy the game, that would be super. Um, and just, like, one of those weird things that, yeah, you have, you have two weeks ahead of time. And even with Mario Kart 8, uh, Nintendo did the same thing. Um, yeah, that's to, true. I mean, it kind of makes sense with bigger titles that are going to be on store shelves because I mean, yeah. you read the review and then later you're at the store, and, you know, you can pre-order and you it, see it. Um, or, yeah, or you pre-order it. But with the eShop stuff or digital stuff in general, yeah, um, you know, it's there, it's in the new releases, and then it can kind of quickly get lost uh, as new stuff comes out within a week. So I think it yeah. makes sense to have the reviews come up when the game comes out and you get all that buzz, you see the review, you see it's out and you go and buy it. I mean, two weeks later, are you really reading like a new release, uh, you know, press release or article and NWR? I mean, maybe, maybe not. So I think yeah. it's easy to get kind of lost. And I mean, usually that expresses like a, a kind of confidence in, in the game. Uh, Cause you'll, you'll often see some people talk about how like, Oh, it's got a release date embargo. That must mean it's bad. And that's not always the case, but Kind of the further out that reviewers are playing the game and being able to fully talk about it, that's when you know that the company is like, "Oh man, they think this is gonna this is gonna be incredible." Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have people kind of reading too much into it, where like uh, when South Park: The Stick Truth uh, came out a couple couple months ago, people were talking about how oh it's got a release date uh, embargo, it's not going to be any good, and it turned out to be really awesome. It's just sometimes it's done to give people more, so they're not rushing through a game. Um, yeah. So that way, it's not who can get to it first. It's we're all playing from the same playing field here. Yeah, um, aim for this. But let's let's talk about Pushmo World. If you want to hear any more inside baseball stuff, 
uh, send us an email at connectivity at Nintendo World Report, <laughs> and maybe we'll talk about it more. We'll spell all the um, secrets. Yeah, I mean, it, I just it, the embargo thing is always something that people seem to be uh, a little confused about, like the the whys and why nots, and right. we might not have all the answers, but we've been we've been messing around with this stuff for long enough that we have an idea. Yeah. So Pushmo World is uh, more Pushmo. I think I saw a lot of people refer to it as Pushmore. Um, oh, that's pretty good. Because that's pretty much what it is. Um, and that's what kind of worried me at first when playing it. Because uh, it starts off with the same kind of tutorial thing. Uh, that where... tutorial is, like, awful. <laughs> yeah, but it, the funny thing is, is that I actually went back and, and messed around with Pushmo and Crashmo for... Uh, I've messed around with both of them, and Pushmo's tutorial is so much worse. Is it? Like, Pushmo World, Pushmo World's tutorial is infinitely better. Wow. Because it's basically, it compartmentalizes it all into just, like, a set of ten levels, whereas Pushmo, the original one, has it, like, spread out over, like, 30 or something. Oh, ridiculous. wow, I didn't even realize that. I mean, I, it's been so long since I played the original, but I, I just remembered it also had kind of a lengthy tutorial, but I didn't know it was that bad. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and Crashmo, I think, is a little more, uh, gentle with its tutorial. And you can definitely tell that, uh, you know, Intelligent Systems learned that, hey, the tutorial is too damn long. But it is kind of a, it's a tough concept to wrap your mind around. Um, and I think it, it benefits a lot from the 3D, which we're missing here. Although some of the camera controls definitely do work. Yeah, and they make up for it. I mean, there were definitely times I'd be staring at puzzles and I would sort of rotate the camera around to say, yeah. well, is that pulled out two spots or three spots? I can't really tell, yeah. you know, what's pulled out, what isn't. I mean, it, it definitely helped. Yeah, that was definitely, like, a tough judgment sometimes, and it was a little frustrating, not to the point of, like, wanting to throw the gamepad down or anything, but it was just, <laughs> it was just tough to judge sometimes. But then There were many, just... many puzzles where I wanted to throw yeah. the gamepad. Yeah, well, I guess, sure. I guess, throw the gamepad, but for... Different reasons. Yeah. Uh, just because the game was outsmarting me. Yes. And it's kind of funny when I was playing this that, like, I my, I was kind of apprehensive at first. Like, I was excited for more Pushmo, but I was like, what are they going to do to make this better? Um, I might have been in the minority, but I loved Crashmo because I think Crashmo basically completely changed up how you played the game. And yeah. it made all the puzzles, like, a lot more simpler and shorter. But they required you to like be on your game more. Like, yeah, they were they were like really they were probably more challenging than Pushmo, but they were in a much more condensed space. Yeah, I mean, because once you the more freedom you give someone in terms of like solving puzzles, yeah, the more complex those puzzles are going to get. So yeah. yeah, I think being able to push blocks out and around and change their you know vertically where they are, I think yeah, that that definitely changes the puzzles quite a bit. Yeah. And that's what I was worried with Push My World going in, is that it was just going to be more of the same. And I was kind of like going in with a little bit of a shitty attitude, being like, oh, the tutorials are bad, God, oh, these damn puzzles. And then, then I got stumped in a few of them and like yeah. started to being like, oh, how do I fix this one? And then, and then I'd figure it out and be like, oh, damn you, Mallow. Like, <laughs> wait a minute, you, you snuck up on me. I didn't think it would get that hard that fast, and it did. Yeah, like, I, I'll agree. The first probably 20 puzzles or so, or pushmos, I guess, um, aren't really, I, you know, they're okay. I mean, especially yeah. if you ever played the game, but right, same, same with me. I was kind of like, okay, this is, this is almost like I, I, the puzzles are different, but I'm getting this identical pushmo feel, and because I'm familiar with pushmo, like, I'm flying through these, but I'd say after you, like, clear the first 20 or so, they do start to get really, um, Definitely. really tricky. And I mean, I, I would spend, I mean, probably, I probably spent like close to an hour on some puzzles just collectively. I mean, maybe not all at once because I just get mad and quit and then try to come back later. <laughs> I would, I, I would, I would definitely, uh, and this is what I did in the original too, is I would just skip a puzzle and then 
like breeze through the next couple and then go back and be like, what happened? And then just come at it from a different angle and then figure right. it out like that. Right, and that that totally works, and I I love that feature again that you can skip puzzles. Um, but they do they get really challenging, and it reminds me of what was so great about Pushmo in the first place. Yeah. Um, God, there there are just some great great puzzles in the game. And the one thing that I like is that it's about I think it's fifty puzzles in. Um, you unlock mysterious Pushmo. Yeah. Um, which kind of that that's what I was looking for. That was the kind of like the crash mode twist that I wanted. And I think it's a little underdeveloped, but, mm-hmm. like, because some of the mechanics are, uh, like, uh, ones that are all the same color are linked. Then there's, like, uh, yin and yang blocks that, like, you know, it'll be a black one that if you push it in, then a white one will come out. Um, and just a lot of these really neat mechanics that, once again, they, they change. It's it's the same same controls and everything, but they just change the way you need to approach each puzzle. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I like the most about you know, when they kind of innovate on this idea is it's not just, okay, let's make this giant, like, 100 by 100 puzzle. It's just like, hey, no, it's it's going to actually be smaller, but we made some twists on it that you can't just, you can't do this the same way you solved every other puzzle. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed to see that those were sort of relegated to their own mode yeah. and not, like, just integrated into the puzzles themselves. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like you can use those tools to create levels, as far as I could tell. No, I don't believe so. Um, which which is also a bummer, because I would love to see what more people do with that. Right. Um, as opposed to people just making, like, pixel art stuff, and then the puzzles are okay. Right, exactly. Yeah, it would have been cool to have those tools there. And, I mean, not having them in the, the Puzzle Maker really does make it feel just sort of, like, not really throw away, but maybe I don't know if if they came late later in development. And they kind of just threw them in there without yeah. really utilizing them throughout the game. Um, but they are fun, and I especially the timed. I like the timed blocks because yeah, it kind of keeps you moving. And I wish even if just those had been incorporated in the main, you know, Pushmo Park, um, would have been cool. But yeah, I mean, I definitely I think that's probably like I wish there was more of that. And I I think what's in it there there's enough. That I, you know, I'm not. I don't come away from it disappointed. It's just that I kind of near the end of it, I gravitated more towards wanting to play more of the mysterious pushmo as opposed to the regular ones. Right, because I mean, you hit a point where it's like, okay, great, these are getting more and more difficult, but in the end, I'm still doing the same thing. You know, it's yeah. not. I'm not learning new skills and adapting. I mean, once you've gotten to the point where you've used all the um, what are they called? gadgets? I guess where you can kind of teleport yeah. around and and you know, all the colors can get pushed out or. Pushed yep. in at once, that kind of stuff. Once you've used those, you know, for the handful of puzzles. That, yeah, that's the com- that's the the complexity of the main game. Right, that's it. And then it's just like, well, now there's just more and more puzzles that get more and more difficult um, using these same tools. And I kind of like puzzle games where, throughout, you're you're learning new ways to to tackle the puzzles. Yeah, like it kind of reminds me of. I mean, it's it's more of a puzzle platformer, if you will. But I think Donkey Kong '94 is one of the greatest puzzle style games ever made yeah um and that every world you're introduced to something new but right. i feel like we're getting overly negative because i think the pushmo world's still an incredible game oh it absolutely is um, yeah and if you've never if you've never played pushmo on 3ds before which if you're listening to this like why <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but uh you should definitely check it out and if it's been a while since you played pushmo because pushmo is two and a half years old um maybe now's the time to go back and go to pushmo world yeah, that's the thing. If you've never played Pushmo, I think this game... I mean, this is the version to play, for sure. Yeah. 
Um, the, even even without even without the three D visuals, I still yes. think this is the most complete pushmo package. And it just looks great. I, I enjoyed playing on the gamepad. I don't really mind yeah. so much losing the the portability of the three DS because I don't really play my three DS much on the go anyway. Yeah. So I, I like to be able to play this on the couch. And then with the gamepad, you can still you know switch your TV over and, and watch a movie you know or do whatever. Yeah. And, and uh, that's actually how I played a bulk of the game. I think it was. I think I was watching some Friday Night Lights or something. I don't know. I yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's how I did a lot too. Um, so it's great on the Wii U. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 so familiar to to the first one. I feel like that if yeah. you like if you played through all of Pushmo, especially recently, I don't think you're going to get quite as yeah. much out of. Pushmo. But but well, if it's it, been like like for me, I, I played the first Pushmo and you know at the end of 2011, early 2012. So going back to it was was kind of wonderful, even right. if it was a little bit familiar. It was. I mean, it's like how. You know, like, it's almost like the joy of, like, something like, when there were gaps between 2D Mario games, like when New Super Mario Brothers was the first 2D Mario game in, like, a decade, this shit was great. It didn't matter if it was a little bit less inventive than the older ones. It was just that, you know, we hadn't had one of these in a while. Um, did you mess around with uh, any of the creation stuff? Well, yeah, and that's what I was going to bring up. The one saving grace, if you have played a lot of Pushmo recently, might be the Pushmo uh, World Fair, which is really cool. Um, although I haven't, like, really gotten to use it. I took a look at it yesterday, because it went live yesterday. Yeah. Well, I guess it went, it technically went live Wednesday, I think, because the game was out in Japan on yeah. Wednesday, our time. Um, no, I haven't messed around with the creation stuff much myself. I, I, I suck at creating. See, same like here. I, I always think in these types of games, I'm gonna, like, really get into the, the creation aspect, and I never do, but I'm, I'm very excited about playing other people's puzzles. Yeah, I mean, that's what I did a lot in the, in the original Pushmo, was that I just, like, oh, cool, I can just use the QR code here and get this. But the one thing with using the Wii U gamepad, uh, if, if you're, uh, if you're keeping score at home, there is one camera on the gamepad, and it's a front-facing camera. <laughs> yeah. So to get a QR code to properly read is like this this weird balancing act where you're like, you know, you kind of need to flip your brain around, <laughs> move move your phone or your computer monitor in such a way that then you can have the gamepad staring at it reverse yeah. from you. Um, and it's just this really weird sequence that doesn't work that well. It's kind of like the weird thing of like trying to take selfies back in the day with a regular like point and shoot camera. Yeah. And just pointing at yourself and like, well, I hope I'm in frame. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, but luckily you don't even necessarily need to mess around with the Yeah. Cause you can just thing. hop on a, hop on Meverse and they curate stuff for you. Right. Which is so cool. Like I, I, I'm excited to get in there more and see what people are doing, but the world fair is really great. Um, that you can kind of share your, uh, your creations there and people can yeah. comment on them. You can see like what's, what's good, what isn't. And I'm just instantly be playing new puzzles. And I feel like, kind of, uh, given, given some of Nintendo's E3 reveals, I feel like some of the mechanics for Pushmo World might find their way into Mario Maker. Um, at least some of yeah. like, the Pushmo World Fair stuff. Like, I have a feeling what you're seeing in the Pushmo World Fair is probably what we'll see when Mario Maker comes out next year. Yeah, makes sense. Um, I mean, why And that not? might, that might be a creation game I get into. Uh, yeah, that one, yeah, I mean, I wanted to make Mario levels, I mean, since I was a kid, so yeah. for sure that one I'm gonna give a go and see, uh, see what happens. Plus, I think it's a little, yeah, maybe I shouldn't say easier, but it's different, I think, building platform levels compared to, like, crafting puzzles, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, I think I will get into that some more. Yeah, and I mean, definitely, not, not to get into to too much E3 talk, but the tools for making levels of Mario Maker are, like, Mario Paint simplistic. That's well, yeah, I mean, it's got a whole Mario Paint feel. I mean, the yeah. same font. Undo you know? Dog <laughs> is there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gnats are flying, or flies are flying around yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm so excited about that. 
Um, as kind of a side note, while we're talking about Pushmo World here, I, have you noticed this like recent trend now, uh, for at least for first party games, maybe more of um kind of rewarding your accomplishment with um Miiverse stamps? Yeah, yeah, they have more of them, except for. I don't really give shit about anything in Pushmo, so I get yeah. a stamp. I'm like, oh great, it's the little sumo guy and he's dancing. Like, right. I, I do kind of like that. It is, it is a better way to do achievements, in my opinion. I think so. Yeah, I mean, better than just sort of an arbitrary score. I guess it's it's somewhat similar to the trophies. It's kind of just showing. Yeah. Off, you know, it's it's a uh, like a real way to kind of show off what you've done. But I do like the stamps. The one thing though, you can't use. You can't use stamps from one game in a Miiverse channel about a different game, though, right? I don't think so. I, I, I think, think so the either. one thing that would be cool with that is, I mean, I guess it would be kind of playing into achievements, is, like, having it to be like, oh, look, he's got all the stamps in this game. Damn. Like, because yeah. I think the only way you can see that is locally. Um, right. Yeah, that's true. It would be kind of cool yeah. if, if if it would post, like, onto Miiverse or, like, send a notification to your friends, like, to let them know that, oh, wow, he unlocked this next stamp or did something, yeah. Yeah, and I guess the cool. idea is that you're supposed to make your own Miiverse post to do that. but Yeah, but I'm lazy. But I just yeah. noticed that it, between Pushman World and Mario Kart and then, you know, Super, Super Mario, Mario 3D, 3D World earlier, yeah. it's like, yeah, they're, they're really getting into this, like, stamps as rewards thing, and I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely, I like seeing more of that. Um, yeah. I mean, definitely Mario Kart, it was another nice, it, it, Mario Kart 8, probably the only reason why I used a lot of different people in Grand Prix was because I knew I got a, st- I got a stamp. Of right, oh yeah. And that's cool, I, I mean, it, it's what yeah. achievements are supposed to do, is like getting you to play the game in a different way or a way you might not normally. Now, the um, one thing in Mario Kart 8, did they have like, this is how you unlock X stamp? Or, cause they should do that. Um, no. That's the only yeah. thing, yeah, that's kind of missing is usually the achievement list will say like, you know, you'll, there are some hidden ones, but for the most part, you can kind of see ahead of time what you need to yeah. do to unlock things. And no, but I think it's kind of easy to figure out for the most part. I mean, in 3D World, it was it was tactile. Yeah, you found a stamp in the yep. level and you got it. Um, in Mario Kart, you kind of like, I mean, you get a stamp right away for finishing a race with a certain character. So you kind of get like, yeah. okay, I need to finish more races with different characters to do this. Yeah. But And then Push My World is basically just like whenever you finish an area. Right. I think every time you clear like all the puzzles in one of the worlds yeah. or something. Yeah. So... Um, I guess, I guess we're kind of at the end here. Yeah. Uh, Um, Pushmo World's a pretty rad game. It's only ten bucks. So, uh, if you have a Wii U and you're looking for something to play, uh, then that, if you retire Mario Kart, you know, had too much of Scram Kitty, (laughs) and I can't wait for Shovel Knight, then get Pushmo World this week. Yeah, absolutely. And get out there and make some puzzles and show them to us. Uh, maybe send us the QR codes. Maybe we'll feature some on on the website or something. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, uh, you know, Email us at connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. Let us know your push thoughts and uh, show us your push mos. <laughs> and then maybe we'll play some. Maybe we'll review them and be like, oh. this one sucks. Or, or this one's really good. <laughs> and then keep we, up the good work. You guys, you can set your embargo dates for those uh, reviews for those uh, yeah, yeah. puzzles. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you make one June 5th, uh, I don't think we can go back in time, unfortunately. But you could do it like two days before it actually hits hits uh, the Pushmo World Fair. Yeah, there you go. a good way to kind of drum up <laughs> so, so everyone everyone can look forward to your upcoming yeah, Pushmo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that just about does it for Pushmo yep. World. Um, bye. Bye.
Hey everybody and welcome to a brand new segment of Nintendo World Report Connectivity during E3 week. I am your host for this multi-platform segment, Alex Kulafi, and joining me is a fellow multi-platform and Nintendo fan, Addison Webb. Howdy everyone. Hello there, Addison. Uh, we should say that we are coming at this from the perspective of someone, of two people who own multiple platforms. I am both a Nintendo fan as well as a Sony fan. Uh, I do prefer Nintendo a little bit. But where do you line up on the, uh, the multi-platform chart, uh, Addison? Uh, I have a PlayStation Vita. I had a 360 and a PS3. And I have a gaming PC that I mainly use for third-party stuff right now. Um, had? Yes. Uh, where, where are they now? Uh, I sold them. Okay, both of them. Yep. Okay. Uh, are you interested in new generation stuff? Yes, I am. I, I haven't really made up my mind where I'm going to go if I do. Yeah. So, I'm kind of torn at the moment. Where do you lean between the two uh, non-Nintendos if you had to decide? Probably Sony now, just because I had the Vita already, and I love using off-TV play so much with the Wii U that it would just make the most sense, since I've already kind of invested in that that kind of platform already with the Vita. And um, I'm a big racing game fan, so having Gran Turismo on that platform is a big pull for me, and Drive Club seems like it's pretty legit, too. Uh, sure. So the uh, the general point of this segment is, well, first off, you may ask, why are the Nintendo guys doing a podcast about multi-platform things? The simple answer to that is that uh, I got this together because I like watching all the press conferences. Addison watched most of them, and we, at least I, like to talk about video games of all kinds. But for you as a Nintendo fan who may be listening to this, maybe uh, perhaps... Not necessarily ignorant, but you, you focus on your own shit, right? So maybe you might be interested in how green the grass is on the other side, or uh, gray and brown in the case of what EA was showing. So maybe for you, if you are a strict Nintendo fan, this may be an interesting uh, maybe learning experience. If you are like me and Addison, if you like these uh, multi-platform games... Um, maybe as much, or maybe a little less, or maybe even a little more than Nintendo, hopefully you will get out of it uh, listening what we get out of it recording. So let's go through it. We got uh, all the press conferences we're going to talk about. We're going to go down the list of what got announced. We got some tweets, and then we'll pick some of our favorite games of the show. And we will have some Nintendo comparisons towards the end, so at least you got something there. First off is Microsoft. Uh, they led with Call of Duty Advanced Warfare. And I thought this was interesting because not only is it the first Call of Duty by Sledgehammer Games, because they're doing the three-year cycle now, but uh, to me at least, it looks like a Call of Duty that's taking the future setting a little more seriously. Because it does look like it's a little more from the future. A lot of the past Modern Warfare games and uh, Call of Duty Ghosts, there, they were a lot like the present, but there was just a reliance on drones as a technology. But this has stuff like uh, rocket-powered grenades, and it has these crazy vehicle suits that are slightly like Mechsaw, almost like Titanfall, but not quite. I don't know. To some people, Call of Duty looks pretty boring, 
But to me, at least, it seems like Sledgehammer is going in a decent direction. Yeah, I'd say so. You can tell they're really trying to blend in the Hollywood kind of atmosphere into Call of Duty even more, especially with this one. You got Kevin Spacey in it. Oh, yeah. Um, I think they go back more to kind of the feel of the pre-Ghost games. I don't think Ghost got the reception that they had hoped. So I I think just in how it plays, it'll be more similar to like your Black Ops, your Modern Warfare. Um, I think it's kind of interesting that Microsoft chose to go with a multi-platform third party to start off, but I mean, it's one that holds people who are on their platform really enjoy, so it makes sense from that point of view. So this started the first of many trends on the show, and there are a few trends I'm going to specifically call out during this podcast. But the first trend I noticed was that for both Sony and Microsoft, they led with a big third-party game that they have a, a lot of exclusive shit in. And Call of Duty, Microsoft is continuing their big DLC conquest. It's You get it first on Microsoft. And with Destiny, as we'll talk about in the Sony conference... They're doing the exact same thing there. They're like, you're getting everything first on Sony. You're getting the exclusive uh, alpha and beta first, and I think only on Sony platforms. And it looks like uh, PS4 is probably the lead for it. It seems like there uh, there's some exclusive games to talk about on both platforms. Sure. But third-party exclusives are becoming uh, a bigger part of both companies' initiatives, it looks like. Yeah, for sure. Um isn't Destiny, they're having like an alpha at the end of this week? Yeah, so uh, they're doing the same thing with Battlefield Hardline. But you right. can sign up on one of the Sony like Greatness Awaits websites. And you put in your PSN ID and maybe your email. And starting tomorrow as of this recording, so Thursday, so it'll probably be the day of, they'll start sending out emails with codes to select people to get in this alpha, and I think it lasts a week, and I think you can play a part of the game. I mean, I know Giant Bomb has footage of that already up, but it's something to play on the PS4 uh, during E3 week, I suppose. Sure. I'm sure that's welcome at this point, especially with uh, Last of Us getting the pushback, but I guess we'll get that later. Yeah. Back to Microsoft. Uh, okay, so next up on Microsoft, and I, I think I started with the biggest stuff first here, so when we get to things like Disney, Fantasia, and Fable Legends, we'll kind of maybe skip through it a little. Uh, sure. But next up was the Halo Master Chief Collection, which is coming out this fall. And because I've never owned an Xbox before, I know probably people with Xbox 360 already have all four of these games, but as someone without an Xbox 360 and is kind of... Uh, not disinterested in an Xbox One, this is a pretty cool collection because it has the Halo 2 remaster, it has the Halo 1 remaster, it has the Halo 2 multiplayer, and it has a lot of extra side content like the Halo 5 beta and whatnot, and I, I think you're getting a lot of game for 60 bucks. Yeah, for sure. And it has the one thing that I care about Halo, and that is Blood Gulch from the original Halo, the multiplayer map. If they just printed that on a disc and gave it kind of like a shiny look to it, if I had a Xbox One, that would be enough to sell me right there because it is pretty much my favorite first-person shooter map of all time. So I was pretty excited about that. That was definitely something that pulled me a little bit over into the Xbox 
uh, camp there because I haven't owned a Halo game since Halo 3. So You never one, got two, into 4? No. I skipped out on 4. Uh, so I, I guess this we can also tie directly into Halo 5, which is coming out next year. They got the beta this December. Is that interesting to you at all? Yeah, I think so. Um, Kind of going through a little Halo fatigue, even from only even played the third one. It was just kind of that game came out my freshman year in college, so the next four years I just played the crap out of that game. Sons of multiplayer, so it's just kind of at a point where I'm like, if it feels too familiar, I'm not really that interested. But yeah. if they do something different with it, I'd be willing to give it a shot. That's fair. Um, I, I guess if you go into the Xbox One wanting the Master Chief Collection, you'll probably want Halo 5 as well. And I, I guess as a first-person shooter, uh, that genre still dominates the market. Even if that franchise is getting set stale, that's probably still a powerful exclusive for Microsoft to have. Yeah. Uh, next up, we got Forza Horizon 2. Um, that's both on Xbox One and 360. That's probably their lead fall game, it looks like. Uh, well, outside of Sunset Overdrive, which we'll talk about. You like car games. Were you ever a Forza man? Uh, I played the first Forza Horizon, and I loved it. So, this is the game that would cost me to get an Xbox One. So, however that turns out, that might sway my choice there. But, definitely a game I'm excited about, for sure. Now, has uh, the tepid reaction to Forza 5 turned you off at all? Um, it depends on how much content comes on release day. Because if they do kind of the trickle effect like they've done with Forza 5, then I would definitely be less interested there. Because that, I mean, that right there could have been a huge selling point for the console for me, but people just weren't very happy with it and didn't seem like it was worth getting the console for, paying $550 at that point to get Forza 5 and an Xbox One. When I could just go play Forza 4 and have more content, not as great graphics, but just as more to play. True that. Uh, I'm just going to loop the next three together as uh, games Microsoft is... Uh, I don't know if shitting out is the right term, because Harmonix is good people, and actually, no, the, mm. even though Microsoft owned it, it's a Harmonix game. But uh, Disney Fantasia... Fable Legends, and Dance Central. Do any of those games do anything for you? Uh, when the title for Fable Legends came up, I was interested, and then I saw how the game played, and now I'm not interested. It didn't really seem like your traditional Fable to me. It seemed kind of more like... I don't even know how to describe it. Anytime they pull out that cheesy smart glass thing, where it's like, ooh, you get to like drop bombs on the game field, I'm just like, okay... This is lame. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the appeal for console gaming is simplicity, and it seems kind of odd to me that uh, they're trying to complicate it using your phone. Like, right. the appeal of a controller to begin with, well, some games like third-person uh, games are better oftentimes with it, but uh, one of the points of having a traditional controller is how simple it is, and 
adding a smartphone or a tablet that you probably have to download an app or go on a website. That, that just seems crazy to me. I think that's kind of been the issue with Microsoft's whole strategy since last E3 is to keep trying to reinvent the wheel and turn the game console into more than the game console. And they've seen the reaction to that. That's not really what their customers want, which I think they did a good job coming out this E3 and just being like, here are the games. Like, we're not going to talk about apps or TV. It's just games, games, games. So I think that was a big win for them. Just Phil Spencer kind of redirecting that whole team into focusing more on the games and giving game content rather than a Halo television series and promoting stuff like that. Just focusing on the games. Yeah. Uh, Okay. And then next up, we got Rise of the Tomb Raider. I I never really played uh, that first reboot game, the Uncharted one. Like, I got an hour into it on PS3 and... It didn't do what Uncharted does for me. It it's it just seemed like a slightly more obtuse version of it with that was slightly more open. Does uh did you ever play the first Tomb Raider game? I haven't played a Tomb Raider game since the PlayStation One first Tomb Raider, so <laughs> yeah, not really interested in this one. Yeah, that that series seemed like it uh. It pulled a Mortal Kombat in the sense that it was really great at the beginning, it dropped off for a lot of people in the middle, and then it apparently came back in a really strong way. Uh, it, it just seems like one of those. Uh, new Crazy Capcom DLC for Dead Rising 3. I kind of want to get Dead Rising 3, even though I hear it's not that great. I, I think something... Uh, I, I like something about the idea of a zombie game that feels actually well-populated with zombies in the traditional third-person action open world. Have you ever played the Dead Rising games? Yes, I played the first one. Okay. And are, does this do anything for you? I'm kind of over zombies, to be honest, at this point, but I think out of the zombie games, this one probably interests me the most, along with maybe Left 4 Dead, if they were to reboot that. Yeah, it seems like their reboot is going to be Evolve later this year. Um, I I don't know if that is the original development team, but I think I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Uh, The Witcher 3 looks pretty amazing. It is an open-world third-person action game that was originally kind of linear as an action RPG, but now it is getting its own super-duper open-world game. It was showing some crazy stuff where you could actually trace down the blood trail of a griffin, and then he fought it, and then he cut off its head, which was the first of many head severings during the E3 (laughs) press conferences. And it it just... It looks like one of those really great uh, games that you could see yourself sinking 200 hours into. And I never played the first two, but this this thing looks amazing. Yeah, I haven't played... The first two either, but this game definitely catches my interest for sure. It's kind of got the Elder Scrolls feel to it, but something a little more. And the polish just looks incredible. The game, it's like finally something that really looks quote, quote, next gen to me. Yeah, and it's it's pretty cool for a lot of... I think this is cross-gen, but even if it doesn't, I think it's cool that uh, even though everything's getting delayed... There's still a lot of really cool stuff that's coming before uh, the end of the fiscal year, like the end of March. Like, they got this and they got Dragon Age, which are two pretty damn hefty games 
that occupy similar genres. I I think it's cool that uh, for these new consoles, even if the first parties aren't providing, there's going to be something we can dig 50 hours into. Uh, Next up, we talked a little bit about Dragon Age. That looks cool. Phantom Dust is coming back. I never played that. I presume you didn't. Nope. Um, Ubisoft stuff, we'll talk about that at the Ubisoft. Uh, They're basically killing off Conquer officially. Not officially, but uh, they're basically stuffing, as the Player One podcast put it, his corpse into Project Spark. (laughs) Uh, They showed off a lot of indie stuff. Some of that stuff is starting to look the same, but a lot of the rest of it is looking pretty incredibly produced. Uh, And then they closed with Crackdown. I never played Crackdown, but it seems like people who like Crackdown are pretty happy with this trailer. Yeah, Crackdown, the first Crackdown was really one of those games that you actually wanted to play co-op online, and that really brought that kind of trend to Xbox Live. So I think that game's definitely a draw for me. I had a lot of fun playing the first one. The second one was a little bit of a disappointment, but apparently they had a really short dev cycle, so... Hopefully, with a lot of time for the third one, it'll come out with better results than the second one did. Yeah, it's uh, I I like one of these superhero action games once in a while. Like like it's not something I'd play every single year, but something like an Infamous, something like a Saints Row Four. Actually, I guess I did play those two years in a row. But uh, one of those games is pretty good once in a while. Uh, they sometimes blend together, like, sometimes similar powers, like in this one you can kind of fly, even though not really, in this power you can kind of make the earth shake, so and so. Uh, Crackdown is supposedly one of the best games at doing that, so if I was to get an Xbox One, I would probably get this game too. Uh... Yeah, the tone really sets Crackdown apart from all those other games, because it's like in between your more serious open world game, like... Like you said, infamous, but it's not super crazy like Saints Row. It leans more towards the Saints Row side. It's got kind of a comedic feel to it. It definitely doesn't take itself way too seriously, but it's not completely nuts in that sense. So I think it has a good balance in the tone to where it, it kind of draws me more the more so than the other two. Yeah. Uh, so this was one that you actually saw in full, this Microsoft press conference. Were you overall happy with it? I would say, yeah, pretty much. Above average, happy. Glad to see that they focused on the games. Um, yeah, not barely any mention of Kinect. Yep. Uh, they definitely kind of stepped around any mention of Fantasia, really. They were like, hey, it's coming. Yeah, even if uh, the Connect future isn't. Yeah. Uh, sure. And it, yeah, this conference seemed like it was pretty good, even if it wasn't as surprising in some ways as the Sony and Nintendo one was. They didn't fuck it up, and right. that is pretty good. Like, there's nothing really that bad I could say about it. Yeah, they they basically went from having like a D or an F last year to like. A strong BB plus in my book, so I think they yeah. did pretty well. Um, the games that they showed all look great. There wasn't anything really that I didn't see coming, except maybe Crackdown, but I was pleased with what I saw. 
Fair enough. Let's move on to EA. Uh, most of their, well, not most, but a good chunk of their focus was on sports games. They got NHL, uh, they got NFL, they got uh, PGA Tour, which now has crazy shit. Like, you can golf over battleships and, like, war zones, which seems like a trials kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, UFC, th- that demo was pretty cool on PS4. The uh, the graphics was really good looking. I'm glad Bruce Lee is in it now because uh, I, I think it is very true that Bruce Lee was a big inspiration for martial arts becoming part of the mainstream, especially with it becoming as big as it is now. What sports game does it for you? Um, most of the main, like four, like your uh, hockey. Football, well, baseball, really only have the show with that, and soccer. So I'm interested in FIFA, uh, Madden, and NHL. And I think this year is kind of a big point for those titles because the first, like, really catered to next-gen versions of those titles. I think I think it was Pete Dodd that I saw tweeted during that conference that they're turning Madden into a quick-time event which I definitely got that feeling from watching it, and that makes me pretty nervous. But other than that, everything looked great. Yeah, it seems like they're doing a third-person camera, like, close up with... Is it the defense now? Yeah. So they're trying to change that. It, it seems like they're pulling an NHL where every year almost nothing changes but one really, really big, kind of really, really big thing, and sometimes it only changes in an aesthetic way. Uh, I, I guess this kind of happens with all the sports games, but when I saw the way NFL was focusing on it, I really thought of the NHL collision system update that was last year, or the NHL, uh, crazy skating that was in the year before. Did, did that, uh, remind you of the same thing at all? Yeah, I think so. It's just kind of taking those ideas, applying the football. We'll see how it goes. I don't really have a great feeling about it, but... The good thing is, in two thousand for the 2016 version, if it sucks, they can just take it out. Yeah. And no, no, that is totally true with the way these sports games work, because I it, they seem to go on a schedule, and I think because most of the games last year kind of weren't that great by most accounts, especially Madden, it seems like... A lot of the stuff you might not like, they're taking out, and a lot of the stuff you want better, they're probably making better, including the visuals that weren't nearly as good as that original CG trailer. They never are. Yeah, I, I guess that's true for everything, except UFC. I would say that comes pretty close to to that original foot kick in the face. Um, Mirror's Edge 2, Battlefront, Star Wars, Mass Effect 4, and some crazy new extreme sports game with uh, tons of vehicles by Criterion. Those were all given an early access kind of approach. They were like, we don't have a trailer for you, but here's some drawings and some a very, very tiny sliver of what the game might kind of look like. If all of those games had a finished trailer, EA would have an extremely strong conference. But because we're seeing all of these games very early, and because we're not seeing a full trailer... There's going to be almost no surprises next year when they do have full trailers. And it kind of ruins a lot of the goodwill uh, that they would have had. 
because it kind of makes EA look like a uh, desperate, like they'll show whatever's there. And I, I don't mean to shit on EA a lot of the same ways some other people do, but uh, the Mass Effect 4 thing, I didn't expect I was going to be so bummed out by it. Because I'm sure the game's going to be amazing, but like, they had nothing to show after all of those months of hype. It was just an announcement that they're making it, so... Yeah, and then BioWare might be making a new franchise one day, kind of. <laughs> uh, they had Dragon Age Inquisition, still looks kind of good. I downloaded the original Dragon Age on PS3 for like five bucks during uh, a sale the other day, and I kind of want to open that up. And then there was Battlefield Hardline, which was their big reveal of the show. Oops! That ended up getting leaked. And yeah, that... Big uh, <laughs> by uh, Jeff Gersman on Giant Bomb's account... It looks a lot like the uh, uh, mod that is very good for Battlefield 4, or a really good mod that would have came around during the early PC days, not early PC days, but the early 2000s PC days, he said. How uh, it, it, it seems like it's going to be competent, it looks like it has a few interesting ideas, but he was saying that uh, it... It seems like a yearly installment that they're trying to throw a gimmick into. And I am basically just deferring to him directly because I don't have a strong feeling about this franchise. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. We'll just see if it works. That would be a huge step up from Battlefield 4. Yeah, and then uh, he was also saying that EA was basically promising their full support to Battlefield 4. And I think it's so crazy that we are six months into uh, 2014, the year after Battlefield 4 uh, came out, and it's still not good yet, apparently. Yeah, they're going to have a hard time selling the new one if they don't get that right. Yeah. They're going to lose goodwill very quickly, especially since it's such a crowded market for those type of games right now. Uh, 2013 was not a good year for EA at all. And no. It it seems like 2014 might not be that different. Unless Dragon Age ends up being amazing, then they'll probably get some goodwill back. And if Battlefield ends up being perfect at launch, and if they fix Battlefield 4 this year and they show some willingness to make everything better, maybe that'll bring some of the hope back. But EA does not seem like they're doing well really anywhere. I'm sure financially maybe they're fine, maybe they're great, but from my perspective, based on the things I want out of EA, I was not happy at all with this press conference. Yep, I would agree. I'd say the best grade I could give them is an incomplete, because so much stuff is just so <laughs> far away that I, don't know, I was definitely disappointed. That uh, Did you see that Criterion footage where they actually did show gameplay for a minute? Yeah. But you could tell they made it in like they probably made it over... I Actually, I know nothing about game development, but it looked like a game from the early 2000s at best. Yeah, PlayStation like, 2 all like the way. Extremely basic polygons. Uh, yeah. Uh, shame on you, EA. Uh, better luck next year. Ubisoft had Assassin's Creed Unity. They did not show off any Assassin's Creed Comet that was rumored for PS3 360. I think Unity might actually be coming to those systems, but I don't remember. I think they were talking about that at some point after. That is a new Assassin's Creed, French Revolution, first on new consoles, and then they got four-player co-op. I liked Assassin's Creed 4 a lot. I liked the ideas 
in Assassin's Creed 3 a lot. The setting does not do it for me this time. And I understand why it doesn't for Ubisoft, because they are a French-Canadian publisher, basically. Even if they're not a publisher that's French-Canadian, I think they probably are. Uh, Most of their important developers are French-Canadian. And it's clear that this might be the one they put a lot of their heart into. It just isn't really for me. Yeah, I liked 4 a lot, too. I just think it had a lot to offer, and it kept you in the game. And that was the problem I had with a lot of the other Assassin's Creed games, because it was just kind of like, all right, I'll go run around. But after a while, you just get tired of doing all the acrobatic stuff. And once you get into the missions, you have to follow somebody and do the stealth missions, and then you'll quickly eject it and pop it in our disc. So... I think if they can stick with the uh, Assassin's Creed 4, what they had going there, and just giving you something in the gameplay to keep you engaged and wanting to go on, it'll be fine. But I'm not so sure if I'm going to be picking this one up. Yeah, well, we'll see how it does. If it ends up being as great as uh, Assassin's Creed 4 ends up being, uh, great, I'll pick it up. But I don't think... Whatever they do to this one is going to beat the pirate setting in the last game. Right, that concept just automatically gives you so many more opportunities to make it interesting. Assassin's Creed 4 plays like the Rockstar pirate game I've always wanted. Well, it maybe not as much polish, but like, it gave me a lot of what I would want from a Rockstar-based pirate game. Like, if, uh, if they made Red Dead Redemption, but with pirates, that was a lot of what that game was to me. Okay, uh, Far Cry 4 looks pretty great, the villain looks pretty great, uh, he looks kind of like an asshole, but he kind of knows who you are, I don't know if he was Adrian Brody from Far Cry 3 who we're playing as this time, probably not, but it seems like Herc from Far Cry 3 is coming back, uh, during the Sony press conference, I guess we'll talk about this specific thing now, they were showing you going into, in, through a wingsuit, they were showing you using elephants to take down enemy compounds. This is a first-person action RPG that you explore in first-person, kind of like an Elder Scrolls game. There's a lot of animal hunting, there's a lot of exploration, and now they got co-op, and uh, I am really, really excited about this game this year because it, it just looks fucking great in the same way Far Cry 3 was. Did you did you play the uh the ori- not the original but the last game in the series? No, I didn't. But I have played Far Cry games in the past. Yeah. The, this one looks like it's going to be pretty damn awesome. That is going to be on current consoles and last consoles. Just Dance 2015, they got they got this Just Dance uh like phone thing where you can just use your phone, which kind of sounds like what SingStar is doing except with dancing. They got Shape Up, which is this kind of cool fitness game that looks like partways rhythm game, partways uh, uh, retro-inspired game. Uh, it was kind of cool. I'm guessing you don't have too much to say about that. No, I think I'll stick with Wii Fit You. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, they had Valiant Hearts The Great War, which is one of the few indie games I want to focus directly on. I don't think that's an indie game because it is Ubisoft, but uh, one of the smaller games they focused on, which is this World War One game where you're either playing as a dog or you're playing as people who are with this dog, and it seems like you're seeing the war through this dog's eyes. And even though it's made in the UbiArt 2D Rayman Legends engine, it still looks amazing. 
that trailer was really, really emotionally impactful. And I will probably play this. I will probably be more likely to play this than I did A Child of Light. Uh, the crew is a car game. Looks like a lot of racing from place to place. Does that do anything for you? Yes, I'm definitely picking that up when it comes out on PC. Yeah, that that looks like one of those car games that has... Uh, I, I think Grid is the other one where the map is like huger than most open world games. Mm-hmm. Where it'll it'll actually take you hours to get from one side to the other in car. So that looks like it has some appeal. Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege and Tom Clancy's The Division. Uh, the Division is getting a lot of hype, but I don't really see it. I, I guess I'm not much of a multiplayer person, and that co-op Borderlands uh, four-player get-together sense, and Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege, they had that showy trailer, which is probably all fake gameplay. Yeah. Uh, all They both showed kind of cool. I, I don't think either of those games are specifically for me, though. Yeah, I definitely think the trailers did a good job of getting people into the game. I thought it was really interesting, but like you said, just not really my cup of tea. I'll be passing. And now on to the next big first party. We had Sony's press conference, and this uh, in some ways was the best conference. In some ways it was the worst conference. We will get into that. Destiny Alpha, uh, white PS3 bundle when the game comes out. Destiny's coming in September, which we knew. Uh, this is the second trend of the show, I noticed. And that is that E3 is coming home in a lot of senses. Because we got the Battlefield Hardline beta that is this week on PS4 and PC. We got Destiny, the Alpha, which is on PC. Uh, not PC, excuse me, but PS4. This week, I think, I think just PS4, maybe PC, uh, but either way, and then you got Smash Bros, that Best Buy thing. It seems like people are going out of their way to bring E3 to the actual players in some small way, and I think that is a really cool initiative, and I think it's such a cool initiative that I wish Nintendo would kind of do a uh, Smash Bros beta. Yeah, that would be awesome. Like, that, that might actually sell a few Wii U's during E3 week. Oh, sure. And it would help them get all the bugs out of the internet service, if there are any. Yeah, it seems like one of the big reasons for the separation and release dates between the two Smash Bros. games is actually that the debug process is uh, going to require hundreds of people, which makes sense because it is a big fighting game. Um, Yeah, that looks reasonably cool. I don't know if it's my kind of game. I kind of hope I get into that alpha so I can see what the game is actually like because I don't quite get it yet. It seems like it's kind of like Borderlands in the sense that it's exploration first person with a focus on multiplayer but not totally required. Uh, The Order 1887 was showed off. That is the new game from Ready at Dawn uh, and Sony Santa Monica which is the God of War guys. They're doing this steampunky, alieny, monstery, uh, old-timey third-person shooting uh, linear game. Looks kind of generic, but is also a really, really damn good-looking game that's coming out in February. Was was that cool to you at all? I just think it's too generic, really. Fair enough. Excite me for it. Seems like too many other things out there. 
Little Big Planet 3 got announced as the big uh, fall PS4 game, and also the big fall PS3 game, as we later found out. Now, I'm not really into Little Big Planet, but I am so glad that Sony had something else to put on PS4 this fall, because without uh, this, uh, what's it called, the Order game, all they would have had was Drive Club, SingStar, and uh, this The Last of Us remastered. Which would have been pretty pitiful. Uh, this is, they, they add wall jumping, they add characters who aren't Sackboy. It looks okay. Uh, not really for me. Yeah, I heard it didn't demo very well, but I've owned every little big planet except for the PSP one, so I'm a pretty big fan of it. The platforming isn't that great, but the online, on that, just all the different things people come up with, it's so much fun to just, open up the online on a little big planet and see what like the top rated levels are that day and play through them. People will come up with some crazy stuff. So that concept is really neat. And I'm hoping that's what the Mario maker can become. But so does this push you one step closer to the, uh, the PS4? I'd say ways? so. Yeah, it's definitely a plus for the PS4 for me. Yeah. This one is not made by, uh, Media Molecule, who made the original. They're working on their own PS4 franchise. This one is made by Sumo Digital, who I think was working on that Little Big Planet hub concept, which I'm guessing is probably scrapped at this point and became Little Big Planet 3. Yeah, so that was Which makes a lot of sense because that was going to be like a free to play game originally and it didn't seem like a clear concept and whatever. Uh, Bloodborne was probably one of my favorite games of show. Do you, have you played the Souls games at all? Okay, but I am that. interested in them. Waiting for a price drop on the PC for uh, Dark Souls 2. I, I guess I should explain what the Souls games are. Not just to you necessarily, but to the people who have never played them. The Souls games are action-adventure RPGs where you are playing in a somewhat medieval time. It, it's one of those kind of fantasy games. And it tries to put you on an actual uh, journey in a sense, because these games are 50, 60 hours long. There's a lot of exploration, even though they're, like, semi-linear, like, you can explore areas, but there's also closed-off areas and whatnot, and the areas do kind of have a beginning and end. And one of the things they do to get you seriously immersed into the world is that they make the combat very precise, and they make the physics so you actually feel like... uh a knight with a sword and shield. In my case, there's also magic, but I always play as the knight with a sword and shield. So when you actually handle these characters, uh, the sword slashes feel very realistic. Holding up a shield like and fighting a dragon actually feels legit because you're this kind of lumbering guy in armor, or I guess you're a little quicker as, uh, as a magic user. But because this combat's so precise and because the physics make you feel like a person... One of the ways they make this feel like an arduous journey is that the combat is very, very difficult and very, very uh, deliberate and sometimes very, very slow. And it's it's one of those things where these games might take you 10 hours to get into, but once you get these games, they're so damn fun. And if you have a PS3 or uh, and you can get Demon Souls or Dark Souls or Dark Souls 2, I would recommend Dark Souls 2 because that is the most accessible. Or on 360, you can get either of the Dark Souls games. Those games are absolutely amazing. Bloodborne is the new game by the guy who directed uh, both Dark Souls Original and Demon Souls. Dark Souls 2 was kind of like an outside project by other people at From. And 
the difference between Bloodborne and other Souls games is that it's a little faster and it's a little closer to an action game. So instead of being focused on a sword and shield, now you have a sword and a shotgun that you're using. And the shotgun, uh, unfortunately for me, isn't necessarily one of those shotguns that blasts everyone away. You mostly use the shotgun in combat to make your enemies stagger so you can get in a lot of good slashes with whatever your weapon is. And I, I think the idea of one of those games, but much faster, much more offensive, and not about hanging back and waiting for one moment to strike before stepping back and waiting and just slowly picking off really hard bosses is a really, really great idea. I like the idea of one of these Souls games, but much faster uh, and presumably much more fun. It's also going to be really damn violent, which I think is great because the art design is always really fucked up in these games. I think this is one of the coolest PS4 games, and it's probably the single game right now that is making me really feel justified in my purchase, especially since that comes out early next year, supposedly. Uh, do you, uh, does this excite you at all? Um, it's something I'm interested to see how it, what it turns into and how it's received, but at the moment, not a whole lot of interest. Uh, and the, this was the, uh, the Project Beast reveal from a while ago. No Man's Sky, one of the other indie games I'm focusing on is a really crazy game made by the guys who made Joe Danger, which is kind of one of those tilty bike uh, 2D racer slash platforming games. I, I think uh, there were some of those on WiiWare. That game looks crazy because it takes these universes that you explore sp through space in like a first-person, almost Minecraft sort of way. Not the visuals, but in the sense that it's this huge world that's all procedurally generated. And basically the point of the game is you're just exploring through space and you're going through all these worlds. And the trailers it shows off look absolutely amazing. It looks like one of the more ambitious indie games I've ever seen. Uh, it I'm, It's kind of cool that this is going to be console exclusive on PS4. I am very interested in playing it. I think it's one of the indie games I've been most interested in a long time, maybe outside of Hotline Miami 2. No Man's Sky, uh, what familiarity do you have with this and... Does that sound cool to you? Yeah, I've actually been following this game a decent amount. Uh, I've seen most of the trailers for it. it like you said, it definitely looks ambitious for being an indie game. It looks gorgeous. It's definitely one of the games that's kind of pulling me in the PS4 direction. We also got Let It Die, the uh, the Pseudo-51 free-to-play game. And I, I won't talk about this game specifically, but the last trend I specifically noticed at this E3 is that everyone's getting their own Japanese exclusive games. Uh, Microsoft has that new Hideki Kamiya game with the dragons. I wonder if I have the name for that somewhere. Uh, oh, I, it's Scale something? Scalebound. Yes. That's, that's the new Scalebound. Hideki Kamiya game, and that's basically his attempt at, at a dragon game. He's the Platinum Games guy. Wonderful 101, Bayonetta, Bayonetta 2, even though he's not directly involved in that one. Platinum, uh, they do right by action fans. They are one of the better action directors out there. So Microsoft has that exclusive. Nintendo has Bayonetta 2 and Devil's Third Lockdown, which are both their Japanese action games. And now, Sony has Bloodbound from, from, uh, from Software, their own action game, and this new Suda 51, uh, free to play game. And I, I, that's such a weird trend to me because it feels like they're both trying to capture the slightly stagnant, if not dying, Japanese console game market. 
while trying to give just a little bit of fan service to North America. I, I don't know, it's just... I never expected niche games to become a trend between the big players. Yeah, I, just, I think they see it as just another thing they can put in their resume to try to get people to get on that console. So, I guess whatever they can get. I mean, Nintendo grabbing for Bayonetta 2, like not even having the first game on a Nintendo platform to begin with, it just seems like an effort to get people who like that game to just have to buy a Wii U for that game and then try to get them into other things since they have the platform. Okay, and then next up, they had Ratchet and Clank remake and a movie of the Ratchet and Clank game. Looks kind of weird, but it's apparently going to theaters. That's first half next year. We got a really damn boring middle half hour where the uh, the new president, basically Jack Tretton's replacement, was talking big game about TV and this new weird Powers TV show and all the crazy non-game stuff Sony has. And this part of the show was so bad that it actually brought down a lot of the goodwill the first show actually had to offer. And that is kind of a damn shame, because I thought all of these press conferences realized that everyone hates numbers so much. Like, if you have a slide about numbers, you're showing how well PS4 is doing, you know, you do a little splash screen of Netflix, Hulu, all the stuff you got on your console... And then maybe you talk a little bit about your own service, that's fine. But just to devote 30 minutes to television, something that has nothing to do with video games, nothing with having to do with why you're there, it's it's frustrating because it, it makes the rest of your conference look bad. It's definitely a momentum killer, for sure. And that's kind of what I liked about the Microsoft uh, conference. It just seemed a lot more focused on games and didn't seem to have any weird dips where they would talk about business numbers or some app they're getting or some other non-gaming related item. Yeah. Uh, regardless of whether you think Microsoft or the, in my case, what I think, uh, how the Microsoft was probably the least interesting announcement wise at the very least, Microsoft was the right amount of tight and it used the right amount of announcements at the very least. It wasn't like Sony where it went 30 minutes too long and it wasn't like Nintendo where it only put 60% of its announcements in the actual presentation. And then you had to do a find the news hunt of everything else. Like I, I think at the very least Microsoft struck a good balance. It wasn't too short like Nintendo's and it wasn't too uh, long like Sony's. Um, uh, Phantom Pain got a trailer that leaked. Uh, Last of Us Remastered coming out in July, which well, apparently wasn't a delay. It was just everyone thought it was coming out the week of. I thought it was going to come out the week of because that's a great E3 surprise and they were keeping it under wraps before then. The Last of Us is a really great game. I could see myself picking it up even for PS4, even though I played it on PS3 just because it is a really damn great game. What do you think of The Last of Us, even though uh, you didn't play it, I'm guessing? No. Uh, does that... Are you interested in The Last of Us? Not a whole lot, really. I mean, the hype the hype is pretty much all that's got me interested. So if I were to get a PS4, I'm sure I would give it a shot. It's not a very yeah. long game from what I've heard. So It's it's actually pretty long for one of those kinds of games. Like it's actually like 15 hours. Yeah, so so it's it's not uncharted length. Uh It'd probably be a GameFly rental for me. Yeah, GameFly is really good for that when they uh when they give you one of those please come back $1 uh rental periods for a month. Just down just get three games out of your backlog. 
that, that's really good. That, that is definitely one of these kinds of games. Um, Batman Arkham Knight looks really good. They got the Batmobile. It's a really pretty looking game. Mortal Kombat X is terribly violent, and it looks like a really damn fun game because Mortal Kombat 9, uh, just titled Mortal Kombat, one of the better fighting games I have played ever because it knows how to make moves look really cool and only three button presses. Have you played these, uh, these fighting games at all? Um, the last time I played a Mortal Kombat game, I paid 50 cents to do so, so that kind of gives you an idea of how long it's been, but I have a lot of respect for fighting games, for sure, so not sure if it's something for me, but definitely seems like something a lot of people would be interested in, looks like a really good product. And then the rest they have is they had some indie stuff. They had Entwined, which was, uh, you can download this right now. That game's supposed to be okay. And then Grand Theft Auto V is coming to new generation consoles and PC. That is so damn awesome to me. Because as I have said on both the last Game of the Year podcast for this show, as well as a 50-minute Grand Theft Auto V devoted podcast with Danny Bivens, you can listen to both in our backlog, uh... Grand Theft Auto V is a really amazing game to me, despite some of the reaction to some people. And I think it is probably one of the better games of the generation. I I think Rockstar is, in general, amazing. And to hear that this is going to have better draw distances, and this is going to have better visuals... uh, I'm in 60 bucks day one, even though... Even if they don't change anything but those two things, I'm totally in for a better version of what I think is one of the better games made in the last ten years. Grand Theft Auto, uh, I, I am guessing that you aren't much of a big Rockstar guy. No, not haven't been for a while, but it definitely makes a lot of sense that they're doing it, so I'm surprised it took so long, especially with this big summer drought of next-gen games. It seems like if it had come out, like, let's say now, it would have been a perfect timing for it. So, a little confused about, I guess, the production of it took that much time, but... I think business-wise, it would have been a bigger boost if it had come out a little earlier. And uh, they closed off with Uncharted 4, A Thief's End. Uh, Did you see this trailer at all? Because I thought it was really damn weird. Because it takes place several years after Uncharted 3. Nathan Drake looks like he's 40. He's got some gray hair and some, uh, some crow's feet at the eyes. Sully's probably 70. (laughs) <laughs> and there was a really ominous feeling about that whole trailer. Yeah. How it, either he's going to die, or Sully's going to die, or someone's going to die. Either way, it sounds like this is the this is the last Uncharted game. Yeah, it definitely uh, felt like that. Being a solemn game, uh, because this it seems like the Last of Us team is doing this more or less. Like, most of the Uncharted guys aren't there anymore. I, uh, I, I think it's great that they're trying to make a, an actual... Uh, one last time at bat. It, it just based on that trailer, just based on that tone. If they carry that into the final game, I'm there. Like it looks amazing with, with like the fly, the way it was on Drake's face. Uh, just the way that the way that they're making characters older is so cool. Like one of the things I love about GTA Five is that it's now middle aged people who are realistically middle aged. It'd be cool if uh, like Joel in The Last of Us, he was slightly slower than Nathan Drake in the other games. He wasn't such an acrobatic monkey. And uh, it, we're starting to see Nathan Drake toned down as a person as we see his game toned down. You seem to have some familiarity with uh, Uncharted, at least somewhat. Yeah. Or are you hyped for this? Definitely. I'm a big Uncharted fan. Um, 
So I'm totally pumped for this. I've even liked the Vita version, which a lot of people hate. I did too. I, I thought it was, I think even though if, like, if it released on, uh, PS3, this would not be a great Uncharted game, but the magic of the handheld makes it kind of a special game. Yeah, it really shows off the OLED screen. Like, that was, I got the Vita and I downloaded that because it was free, which was awesome with PS Plus. So at this point, uh, as it turns out, Addison had to leave early for reasons unforeseen. And I am just going to finish off the show without him, because why not? Uh, I'm not going to have anyone with me, so I'm going to be doing some general reactions and a little bit of Nintendo talk before I close it out. Uh, this is going to be a little bit abbreviated, I'm sorry for that, but I will get to all your tweets before I close this out, and I will at least do some comparisons. So, Nintendo recap, you know what happened. You can listen to our other recent segment on connectivity if uh, if you want to hear an hour of discussion just on that. Uh, I'm sure all of you think it's great. Uh, I thought it was pretty great in some ways. I thought Zelda was great. But as I said in both podcasts, I thought the delivery left something to be desired. Of course, Smash Bros. is a really good-looking game. And, of course, Pokemon is going to be Pokemon, and that's awesome. Uh, the Miyamoto games, I kind of wish there was something more complete. But, uh, it's I, mean, I guess his prototypes are better than no Miyamoto at all. Compared to the other conferences... Uh, just to give you a little bit of perspective, as you can tell, Nintendo's conference was a lot brighter, a lot more fun, a lot more colorful. Uh, not, I guess, fun in, uh, in, uh, presentation stance. Like, they had the robot chicken, they use a lot brighter colors, which are usually, uh, more fun. There were less third-party games at Nintendo, while there was a huge third-party focus on the other games, which, by the way, some of them were a lot more brown and gray than the games you would see at a Nintendo show. I mean, their shooter was... Uh, they, they basically pulled an Epic Mickey and put color all over the place. Color is a mechanic. Things that aren't brown and gray are the mechanic to make the game as little brown and gray as possible, and that's pretty awesome. Uh, everyone has Japanese exclusives, like I said. There is a different delivery style. Like I said, Microsoft's was uh, tighter but a little less interesting. Nintendo's had a slightly more uh, annoying presentation format, but maybe it had the most and best announcements, especially with the recently announced Project Steam, uh, codenamed Steam, which looks like a cool new strategy game from Intelligent Systems, I think. Um, outside of Zelda... There were no Nintendo games focusing on scope, while a lot of other games focus on scope. You got Destiny, you got uh, a lot of the Ubisoft games that focus on scope, and that is one thing that is especially unique to them. Zelda had the open world, so that was focused on a big scope. But a lot of games like Captain Toad, a lot of games like Mario Maker, a lot of games like... uh, especially the smaller Miyamoto projects, they were focused on a much smaller scope. Which means that uh, it's a lot of these games did not look like sixty dollars experiences at the Nintendo press conference. Even though, even if they do charge sixty bucks, it might be worth it. Like Captain Toad, I do not think that is a retail product. Even if even if they release it as a retail product, and it's great. Kirby Canvas uh, Curse, that sequel, the something something something, that looks like a thirty dollars game. But that might be because to me. I remember it as a game that was released at $30. Uh, and Mario Maker, some people think that's going to be full price. I think it can be $15 at most, as you'll hear on the other podcast. 
while things like Far Cry 3, things like the the crew, they're always trying to make the world bigger. That's their thing. And I, I think different strokes for different folks. I love me some open world games, but Nintendo is very focused on their mechanics, which is okay too. And, uh, obviously, if you want to hear more details, you can redirect to the other segment. If I had to rank it, I would say Nintendo probably had the best showing because all their announcements were interesting. I think Sony might have beaten them if they didn't have such a shitty middle segment where they were just talking about nothing that mattered. Like, announcement-wise, I guess Bloodborne and Grand Theft Auto and Uncharted were extremely interesting, and that's more interesting to me than anything at the Nintendo press conference outside of Zelda, which I think looks amazing and might be one of my games of show. But, Nintendo still had the most consistently good announcements. Like, the worst thing I could say about a Nintendo announcement here was, that looks pretty good, or that might be pretty good. With Sony, like... Their press conference had such a bad structure to me that it ruined some of the goodwill. Even if games like Bloodborne look amazing. Grand Theft Auto V, that might be amazing. Uh, Uncharted, making a middle-aged Drake sounds like it could be really damn amazing. And that is, uh... It's uh, it's kind of a shame that the press conference didn't live up to the hype, even if announcement-wise, I might have thought Sony was the winner of, uh, in quotes, of E3. But instead, because they screwed up their press conferences, because uh, Nintendo's screw-up was less terrible to me, I think Nintendo might actually take it. Uh, but which which is good for Nintendo. My top three games of show, I, I guess, if if we're gonna talk about that too here is going to be Zelda, obviously, uh, Great Theft Auto 5. Actually, no, I'll, I'll give it to Uncharted, because that's an original game, and Bloodborne, those three games. Uh, Bloodborne, Uncharted, Zelda, 3-2-1. I, th- I think Zelda might have been the most interesting game of show I saw. Maybe Bloodborne could take it if I thought about it more, but those are the top three. Lastly, before I close, I'm just going to talk about the tweets I got a little. We got five of them, and I promised you that if you sent anything half-decent in, I was going to read it. If you sent something in uh, since we started recording, I apologize greatly. If I didn't see your tweet, I apologize greatly. I'm sure it was amazing, but we got five tweets here. From Tony Losoya, uh, Tony underscore Losoya on Twitter. Has Nintendo shown, especially this year, that you don't need a huge press conference to make an impact at E3? Uh, my answer to that is press conferences, I prefer them because I like all the announcements being in one place in 90 minutes. I think wielding that much power can lead to slightly troubling results with Sony's case. I think Nintendo's digital event is fine if they just make it a little better. Like, I, I think Nintendo might be on to something. I don't think Nintendo is there yet, and I think they might get there one day. Do I think this is necessarily the future? No, I, I don't think they're pulling a Super Mario Bros. on press conferences. I don't think that this is going to be revolutionary. If anything, I don't think Nintendo's going to be the one to do it, but uh, the press conference and the E3 itself might be on the way out for some kind of more public-friendly replacement, kind of like PAX East, but also closer to a trade show at the same time. Uh, Jaguar, Shot of Jaguar, that might be at Shot of Jaguar, one word. What is D4 about and how does it play? I actually looked up a video of this just so I could tell you what D4 was and how it played. D4 was made by the guy Swurry, something something, who made Deadly Premonition. He's one of those weird Suda51 Japanese guys who makes games that are kind of punk and kind of stylish. This is a Kinect-only Xbox One game, might be on Xbox 360, or might be 360 only. But it's a Kinect game, and it is a weird Japanese adventure kind of game where 
Uh, you're going through a story as a detective, much like Deadly Premonition, and you're trying to figure things out with a weird Japanese sense of humor. Uh, the gameplay seems a lot like you're just mimicking what he does, so you'll get into the character when he washes his face, you mimic washing your face when he eats a snack, you mimic uh, uh, eating a snack, and that's supposed to get you into the game. I don't know, it looks kind of weird, I, uh, I'm still not convinced by the idea of the Kinect, but oh, at this point, you know what? If he makes it work, he makes it work. If anyone's going to make a weird game work, Double Fine did. And if anyone's going to do it this time around, maybe Swery will be the one to do it. Uh, MetaMass, at MetaMass, uh, one word says, Could you sum up the major press conferences and what they are bringing lacking compared to Nintendo Wii U 3DS? Hi, you're welcome. <laughs> the, the, uh, everyone had their own interesting stuff. Sorry, EA, better luck, better luck next time. Nintendo uh, is only guaranteed victory because Sony screwed it up. It, it would be much closer. Maybe Sony would win. Maybe Nintendo win if Sony uh, structured their press conference better. If they were both at their A game, I don't know who would win. Uh, but uh, Sony and Microsoft prefer Western games. Nintendo likes games that are either universal or slightly more Japanese in major, nature, or incredibly Japanese in the case of all of their platinum co collaborations. BJ Wanland, uh, that is BJ W A N L U N D, he says, I thought Nintendo freaking brought it, but Sony somehow brought back Grim Fandango without it leaking out. Yeah, we didn't talk about that, Grim Fandango, the, uh, the classic Tim Schafer adventure that is coming back. I never played it, but if it is amazing and if they make it uh, more playable to a uh, modern generation of gamers like me, maybe that'll be really damn special. And last but not least, we got Tim Chatton. That's uh, at T Chatton. Why did Microsoft spoil the ending of Halo 4? Wasn't this collection both for newcomers and seasoned folks? Probably, but Microsoft likes to make money, and they think, uh, much like Nintendo with Super Mario 3D World, that they will make more money if they reveal more about the game. I think that's short-sighted to the most loyal fans, but uh, PR's gonna do what PR's gonna do. And thankfully for me, as someone who may one day even play that collection if I get an Xbox One, I am so very glad that I did not pick up on what that spoiler from Halo 4 was. So, uh, thank you for asking that question. Thank you for uh, letting me know that I dodged a bullet, and I'm sorry that you did not. So, uh, thank you very much for those questions. Thank you very much for listening. I'm sorry we had to make this last part of the show incredibly abbreviated, but I hope you enjoyed listening to it anyway. If you have any questions about uh, for future episodes, even if they're about A3, you can email connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. Uh, again, thank you so much for being at our website during all this coverage, listening to the podcast, listening to this podcast, even though you might be more of a Nintendo fan and you just want to learn a little bit more about what's on the other side. Uh, see you one day. Uh, thank you for listening, signing off on behalf of me and Addison. Bye-bye. All right, now we'll do it for episode 138 of Connectivity. As always, you can send your listener mail to connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. Uh, you should rate and review us on iTunes if you haven't done that yet. And be sure to follow all of us on Twitter. Go to nintendoworldreport.com and look for the Twitter sidebar on the right-hand side of the page to find our usernames there. And we will see you next week.